This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Bill Towner, electrician and adventurer. When you need electrical work, or maybe have to recover your great-great-grandfather's ancient crystal skull while saving the subject of an Aztec virgin sacrifice, think of Bill Towner. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a sequel week here on Pod Cemetery with 1987's House 2. And 2016's The Conjuring 2. We have covered both of the first entries in these series in prior episodes. The Conjuring, way back when, two years ago, uh, in the first batch of episodes that we released. It was the third episode, right? I think is what it turned out to be. You looked it up? The fourth. Oh, okay. Just after that first batch. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What actor stars in the 1999 film Stir of Echoes in which a man sees visions after being hypnotized? Kevin Bacon. That's correct. I mean, there are other actors, but... I know. I was, when I read the question, I was like, this is fucking stupid, but yes. All right, this is a question about the original house. Ooh. Sort of. Comes from a collection of questions about the original house. Okay. Can you name the title... Of the first sequel to House. House 2, the second story. That is correct. That's what we're doing now. Interestingly, in the UK, stories as in like building stories, not only do they start at the ground floor and then the sec- our second floor is their first floor, <laughs> they also spell it S-T-O-R-E-Y. So if you look at posters for House 2, it spells out House 2, the second story, the way we know it, and it crosses out story, and it rewrites it in with the E, which is pretty funny. Like, that's how they did the pun. (laughs) They kept it in anyway. Cute. (laughs) Yes, so that's the first movie we're covering, House 2, the second story, which is a fantastic title from 1987, starring Ari Gross, Jonathan Stark. Royal Dano, Bill Maher, and John Ratzenberger. Interestingly, I think we should point out that, of course, John Ratzenberger plays basically his Cliff Clavin character from Cheers, but George Wendt was the neighbor character who was a supporting actor in the original house. So Norm from Cheers was in the original, and then they got Cliff in this one. Yes. Jonathan Stark, you might recognize, as I did... But I couldn't pinpoint where, and I had to look it up. He's Billy Cole from Fright Night. He's the live-in carpenter and right-hand man of Jerry Dandridge in Fright Night. What does he play in this? He's the best friend. He's the goofy best friend. Ah. Okay. Kelsey, what is House 2, the second story, all about? This guy inherits a house. Completely unrelated to the first one. Yeah, the, it, 
it should not be a sequel. I'm very annoyed about it. But anyway. Well, they tried to go with like it. Oh, it's a silly horror movie about things that happen in a house. And that's about the only connection. <laughs> yeah. So he inherits this house and there's like this story about a, a crystal skull. Yes, we are in the kingdom of the crystal skull. This kingdom goes to any dimension it wants to. Yeah. Willy-nilly and in multiple doors and in multiple places. And there's like no real cohesive connection to any of it, really. No, there is not. But the movie is free on Prime and Shudder. And if you want to watch it with commercials, it's also on Tubi TV. You can buy it for anywhere from 5 to $10 on your normal streaming services or rent it for as low as 99 cents. Kelsey, should people watch House 2, the second story? No. Now, Lou's going to be really disappointed to hear you say that. Can you tell us why? I loved the first one. Very surprised by the first one. Yes. We went in, We sat down for that thinking it was going to be terrible. Very much pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I, like, I remember partway through, I think we talked about this in the episode, thinking, oh my god, is this a comedy? Yes. <laughs> It re completely recontextualized the whole entire thing. Yes. This is... This is a children's comedy that... Oh, yeah. Th that parents put on just for mindlessness, like, for their kids to watch. Because there's... Yes, there's a story, but not fucking really. It's Barely. mostly just a bunch of weird shit happening that only kids would find funny. Right, there's little, like... Pet characters, there's a worm, there's like a caterpillar dog, there's a baby pterodactyl that are kind of like lovable pet characters, and then there's the grumpy old grandpa, you know, aged western cowboy type, and like, you know, it's, and they go to, like, oh, they go to basically the land of the lost, and uh, it's stuff like that. It's like, that's a bunch what it's of for. random yes. shit that just, it's like... It's and not it's, really even interested in its own plot. It, at no, all, it's at not. All. It's just. I think I read that like the 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 writer like only had two weeks to write it, and I'm something like, like that. Yeah, my students could write a better script than this. <laughs> yeah, in two weeks. When I was in middle school, specifically, because you teach middle school. When I was in middle school, I wrote a story that I was very proud of called "My Brother Ate My Socks." And it was about, like, hey, what happens to the sock that you lose in the dryer? Well, I found out that my brother was eating them because he was secretly an alien. And, like, that was a story I wrote. This feels like that. And I hate to do this two weeks in a row, but that's exactly what it feels like. Uh, so if you watched this movie as a kid and you absolutely loved it, like our buddy Lou did... He's going to be in our wedding. We love him absolutely. So, Lou, if you're if you're listening, no offense meant to you. Mm -hmm. But if you watched it as a young kid, I could imagine you being absolutely enthralled by this movie. <sighs> but as an adult, it just simply does not hold up. No. Even though it's free on Prime, I don't know that there's a lot to really get out of it, even for humor's sake. No, I don't think I laughed. I think I laughed like twice. Yeah, the John Ratzenberger stuff at first had me baffled. And then, like, towards the end of it, I was like, okay, this is awesome. 
<laughs> but anyway, you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1987's House 2, the second story. Last year, you were terrified by House. Now there's an all-new House. With brand new owners. Is she a virgin? Because I've never seen one before. We got a little problem in the other room. Better come have a look. And the place is really coming to life. Thanks, Charlie. <laughs> House 2, the second story. I've seen enough tragedy and disaster to make you want to upchuck in your shorts. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, July 10th at a theater near you. Kelsey, can you tell us what happens in House 2, the second story? Can you get us started? We open up on a big mansion, which looks god-awful. Oh, it's, yeah. It's made out of, like, plastic and foam. Yeah, they try to have, like, these marble railings. And but it's made it, out of foam. <laughs> it, yeah, it looked like it. At first, I was trying to tell if it, like, are, are those railings carpeted? Like, it looked mm. really bad. It's, it's, oh, yeah. There was no money put into this movie. <laughs> None. Um, There, we open on, like, this house, and, uh... This woman is holding a baby, and she's crying, and the baby's crying, and it's in the 50s, and she's like, get downstairs, Clarence. They're coming. Comes down, and then they see, like, a scary figure, and she's like, could it be him? Wait, 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 you didn't say what happened with the baby. Oh. They hand the baby off to another couple. At first, I thought, oh, is this some sort of weird, shady adoption thing? No explanation. Absolutely none. I think it's supposed to be that they're they're getting rid of the baby because they're afraid that like this evil creature that we don't know what it is yet will harm the baby in some way. Right. But then it's like when, when you get to that moment when they're back in the house and they see a shadow moving and they hear something, Clarence, the husband, is like, oh, it's probably just the kids that broke into the other house last Halloween. Like, wait, so are you, do you think there's an imminent threat or don't you? Like, which is it? I think he's supposed to be calming his wife down. Maybe. But the bigger question. makes it confusing for us. The bigger question is, why didn't you just right. leave yeah. the house? Uh-huh. Why are you staying there if it's so scary? So, turns out that what's actually in the house is a ghost cowboy named Slim, who has a voice I wrote down. Touch nothing but the lamp. Yeah, he said that. I wrote that he down. He said that after the guy said his line, and then he looked it up. And sure enough, it is Frank Welker. Give me the skull. Who does the voice of the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin. Touch nothing but the lamp. Awesome. Frank Welker is one of the most prolific voice actors in all of movies and TV. You've heard him in everything if you if you hear the voice of an animal that sounds a little too perfect like they couldn't have trained an animal to make that noise but it still sounds like an animal it's probably frank welker uh. he did dr claw which this also sounds a lot like from inspector gadget you know i'll get you gadget i'll get you next time gadget next time <laughs> he did megatron you insolent He does Fred from Scooby-Doo, and he's done that for decades. I'm sorry, gang. I've just got all these crazy emotions, and I don't know why. Why can't I just be cold and heartless like other guys? Why must I feel? And like I say, he's basically the voice of every animal in anything. Uh, Frank Welker is totally awesome, and he has just a handful of lines in this entire movie. 
He explains that he wants the skull. They say they don't know where it is. And he shoots them. Now, again, they could have just left. There was no reason for them to stay. There are two skulls. The skull that's there is the one without the gems. And there's a matching skull that has gems in the eye sockets. And so we jump forward to modern day where we meet Ari Gross and his girlfriend who works for a record company, I guess. And he's just inherited the house. How he just inherited it, who knows? <laughs> because his parents have been dead since he was a baby. Yeah, you'd think like, oh, maybe it was when he was 18, but he's an adult. Yeah, no, he's in his, what, late 20s, early 30s? I would imagine. I remember Ari Gross mainly from Ellen DeGeneres' TV show, Ellen, that she had before whatever her current talk show is called. <laughs> the one that actually got her famous. Anyway. I think it's called Ellen. It is called Ellen, but it, uh, you got to be clear that you're not talking about the show she currently has on TV, <laughs> which, I again, I don't know what that one's called. It might just be Ellen. And... They're excited about this new place. And late at night, Jonathan Stark shows up. He's his friend with Amy Yazbek in tow. Amy Yazbek, who was on the show Wings, which we've mentioned several times, keeps coming up. She's also made Marion from Robin Hood Men in Tights. Yes. That's probably what she's most famous for, at least that I know her most from. She's also in The Mask. She had a small role in The Mask as well. Yes. But she's a singer, and she's in a band and Jonathan Stark's character represents her. They have a scheme. They're there. They show up drunk. They have a scheme that if they can play her music casually, Ari Gross's girlfriend, who's played by Lar Park Lincoln, will recognize it, get excited, and sign them to a contract, which is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happens. I would like to point out before we move on, though, that when the main guy and his girlfriend first show up... yeah. She says, who decorated this place? Then I wrote, right? <laughs> Good the question. Set, the set is like a bad haunted maze. <laughs> it really is. She also says, the car phone doesn't work out here. Yeah. So they couldn't call on the whole trip. They had to wait till they got there. For the longest time, my dad's voicemail for his voice <laughs> cell phone used to say, I can't get to my car phone right now. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to say that. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, this plot line is going to get dropped almost immediately when it serves its purpose, which is, we'll find out later, getting Bill Maher to show up. And that's the only purpose. The entire plot line about them, her being a rock star or whatever. That's it. But in any case, meanwhile, Ari Gross, whose name, by the way, in the movie is Jesse. He's finding all this old shit in the house, and he's going through all these old records, and he finds a newspaper clipping of his great-great-grandpa, who is also named Jesse, who discovered in, like, an Incan or Mayan temple or something, these two skulls with his partner, Slim. And they had a violent falling out or whatever, but... They mention that there are two skulls, and one supposedly has the power of... Eternal life. Eternal life. But Jesse mentions, well, here's the one skull, but where's the other one? And he's talking to Charlie, Jonathan Stark's character, about this. So, they just get a hair up their ass, and they decide to tear the house apart, and when they don't find it in the house, they decide to dig up the great-grandpa who happens to be buried on the property. Yeah. At... <sighs> Okay, they dig him up, and then 
Jesse gets attacked by the zombie corpse of his great-great-grandpa, and they both struggle with it until Jesse reveals, right before they're about to get shot by him, that, I'm your great-great-grandson, my name is also Jesse. And then all of a sudden, this zombie cowboy is like, oh, hey, great, that's awesome, oh, great, oh, yeah. And this is Royal Dano, by the way. Who plays Gramps. That's what he wants to be called. I'd like to point out that the skull mask that the grandpa is wearing. He's wearing a skull mask. <laughs> let, let that sink in. Why is he wearing a skull mask? I thought that was the skull. I thought that was what gave him eternal life. No, it's the, it's the, the no, he just has a mask on. He's wearing a mask. It looks like the Rocketeer's mask. <laughs> that really bothered me. I didn't me. notice. It looks... Just like it. <laughs> Do you mean the crystal skull or the mask that Gramps is wearing? The one that he's wearing. Okay, in the... yeah. No, I didn't notice. <laughs> Did you also notice that the guy, I mean, like, this is, this is, this is basic. This is acting 101. This is what I teach my kids. He goes to open the casket. Uh-huh. Okay? And when he goes to open it, it's the heaviest thing in the world. And then once he's got it just slightly open, oh, now it just suddenly pushes off. And then, oh, suddenly you can just push it away. Like, it has weight. I don't yeah. care if it's made out of styrofoam. You need to show me that it has fucking weight. Yeah, well, they didn't pay a lot of care and attention when they were making this movie. No, they did not. It's mm. been He's been waiting 70 years for someone to dig him up. Yeah, but the, the great irony is that while he does have eternal life... He doesn't have eternal youth. That hasn't happened. And they don't know why. And he says it's supposed to work, but it didn't? Yeah, no, they dropped that storyline, too. <laughs> him getting younger, they don't even try to make him younger. But he goes out with Charlie and, and has a night on the town getting plastered. For some reason, they drive his car... When he's talking about how old he is, he's like, I look like a zombie. He says... I have this written down. Look at me. I'm a 170-year-old fart. I'm a goddamn zombie. Look at me. <laughs> I'm a 170-year-old fart. A goddamn zombie. 170 years would put it at... 1817. No, he, he said he'd been waiting 70 years for someone to dig him up. So he got buried in 1916. Right, but he says he's a 170-year-old fart. Yes. So he was 100 when he died? Apparently. Or when he buried himself? Whatever, it doesn't matter. 170 years prior would have been 1817. The term zombie, while existing since the 1800s, did not come west until a book from 1929, over 100 years after that, called The Magic Island. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, okay, if he lived to be 100, that would put him at 1917 or 1916 or whatever, right? So when, when he supposedly died, that's still over a decade shy of the term zombie coming west. Mm -hmm. In any case, uh, Time Magazine apparently says that that's where it was introduced to U.S. speech, and it was Z-O-M-B-I with no E. So, like I say, they go out on the town, they go drinking, and they have a really good time. 
eventually he tells them stories and they're up all night telling stories. And one of the stories is that this house looks so exotic because it was built with the stones from the temple that they raided, the Aztec temple. Do you not want to talk about the fact that in between the grandpa going out and when they sit down and listen to the stories, we were introduced to Bill Maher. So whole thing. Yeah. Okay. So the Bill Maher thing, like basically exactly what I told you before happens. Lar Park calls Bill Maher and saying, I've got our new act, you know, yada, yada. And he shows up and he's interested in, in his, in the girlfriend. Right. This doesn't really matter that much. It matters to not. I wanted to bring it up because we have whole plot lines. Yeah. That are completely un- unimportant and unnecessary. But it does explain why Bill Maher is so hostile to Jesse. But that's it. They just need... they All these stories exist solely to set up relationships. And then once the relationships are set up, they all go away. The only story that matters is this. Because this is Aztec magic or whatever... The, the rooms in the house are doorways through space and time, and they take you to different places. And that skull, which is the reason why it makes Gramps live forever, is the key. So when they put it in its little pedestal... Why this home is in the United States, but he had to go to Aztec area to get... The skull. Well, he got the skull and the stones, rebuilt it, so now the the house, like I say, the house is built from the stones of the yes, temple. but the house is here. Yeah. Not there. Right. Doesn't It's not the location, it's the, the materials. Oh, okay. Fine. No, it's dumb. <laughs> there is an explanation, it's just not a very good one. And so they keep the skull there as if they want to open up the gates throughout the house? I don't know. It... Anyway, there's a Halloween party going Charlie on. Charlie, it wrapped up in everything, forgot that he invited a bunch of people over to have a Halloween party. And so because it's a Halloween costume party, Gramps can boogie and have a good time. His ex-girlfriend shows up and kisses him and he does nothing to stop it. And He's kind of into her. And meanwhile, Bill Maher takes the girlfriend out into the outside to tell her, hey, I just saw your boyfriend. In the middle of a party, in front of everyone, make out with this chick? No. She kissed him on the lips to say hello. Is that not okay? Sure. But that sends this girlfriend into a frenzy, and she breaks up with him, and then she gets put on Xanax, and we're supposed to laugh because she's all fucked up on Xanax, and it's not funny, and you don't care, and then you think that the the, the girl who showed up is going to become the love interest. She's not. She's going to be sent away. For most of the movie, except for one more appearance, that's totally unimportant to set up a scene that's one of the dumbest things. We'll get there. So, a giant prehistoric man shows up. I mean, apparently he's supposed to be a caveman of some sort. Yes. He's from the Stone Age, kid. You gotta stop him. He shows up to the party. He takes the skull and he How runs he off. knows what the skull is or well, what it does. I, yeah, who knows? He's He's attracted to it. And they kick everyone out, but we don't see that. The next time we're in the house, it's completely empty. Jesse follows him to one of the rooms, and it's a jungle. A jungle. 
And so he gets Charlie, and Charlie goes out to the car and gets his Uzi. And it's the stupidest Uzi. And it serves no function the entire movie. He gives him a gun, but he's like, I'm pretty sure this is a lighter. And he's like, no, it's not. Why he doesn't know that his own gun is a lighter, I don't know. Right. He hands it to him, and he's like, what am I going to do with this? Light a cigarette? And Charlie's like, no, I shoot really small bullets or whatever it is that he says. Yeah, it does ultimately end up to be a lighter. So they go into the what what uh, what is the land of the lost? This world where humans and dinosaurs exist together. We full of we see a full on dinosaur. I wrote down that is a dinosaur. It's <laughs> the worst claymation puppet thing. The, the fucking animatronics at Disneyland that have been there since the fifties look better than this garbage. Because yeah. <laughs> he's very upset about this. <laughs> they come across the caveman dude. And they win back the skull from him. How do they defeat him? An animal eats him. Oh, right. Why he doesn't eat the other people, I don't know. Well, because it's convenient. <laughs> and Jesse holds up the skull. He's like, we did it. And he holds it up. And I'm like, a pterodactyl's going to take it. A pterodactyl's going to take it. A pterodactyl is going to take it. And sure enough, a pterodactyl takes it and flies it up to its nest on top of this giant tree and drops it in with the eggs. So now Jesse has to climb this tree, and Charlie's just going to watch him. And he climbs all the way up. Meanwhile, Charlie senses something in the ground, moving around, and he doesn't know what's going on. Jesse gets up to the top of the tree. He finds the skull, but a baby pterodactyl has it. And they're struggling, and they fall together. Is it here that they crash through the floor, or is it later? It doesn't matter. They this end is, up. This is where that's they, my very next note. They end up crashing through the floor, and they all fall down into the basement where Gramps is waiting. Did you want to talk about that at all? My notes are just riddled with notes like, "The pacing is abysmal. I don't know what's going on. That sound is very irritating. This fight is going on for forever. Like, I don't <laughs> fucking know. I was just miserable." The whole time I was watching this. This is a children's movie, and I'm kind of pissed off that it qualifies as a horror movie because this is not even on the same it's fucking level. It's not even remotely horrifying. As any of the horror movies we've done for children. No, and that's the thing. We're not dismissing this because it's a children's movie, which it really is. But because it presents itself as if it's just a horror comedy. But all the comedy is terrible. It is. It's really bad. It is really bad. So anyway, they find out that the thing that was moving in the ground was actually a cater giant caterpillar that it has a dog's face and it pants and barks and stuff. Because I guess that's the prehistoric version of a dog. Because this is for children. Yep. So now they have... A pterodactyl with a skull in its mouth and it won't let go and a caterpillar dog. So they try to deal with this. He's running around trying to deal with it. And Bill Maher is like, did I hear something? And he like keeps on trying to press the situation. Because he thinks it's Rochelle. Rochelle, who's the ex-girlfriend. Jesse traps the pterodactyl baby in one of the cabinets, which is very obviously deep enough so they can have a puppeteer in it. Gramps comes up and he hides Gramps in the pantry. And then there's a big confrontation with everyone there. And he's like, Jesse says, I, you, you're not going to understand, but just trust me. It's not my ex-girlfriend. And like, well, show us. And he's, he finally gets fed up and he's like, fine, I'll show it to you. And he opens up the pantry and there's Rochelle. 
And she's plastered because she was waiting for him that whole night when he was just trying to get rid of her. And he's like, you have terrible timing, Rochelle. What are you doing here? And so everyone gets up, gets really upset and he yells at him. No, I'm telling the truth. I'm telling the truth. I don't understand what happened here. He doesn't open the cabinet that has the pterodactyl in nope. it. Until after everyone leaves. Yeah. And he's like, it's a pterodactyl. And he closes the thing. It's like, well, why didn't you do that 20 seconds ago? Right. It doesn't make any sense. He opens up the cabinet again and it's Gramps. Because there's a secret passageway. Gramps, and Gramps thought it would be funny. He feels really bad. And he's like, I just wanted to play a joke. I'm just sorry the joke was on you. I, I would just happen to play a joke on somebody. And I'm sorry that it turned out to be you. Why was that a joke? Like, it... It's the flimsiest excuse to have a confrontation of just, any sort. Just to get rid of both chicks. Because then he's like, Rochelle, go home. Okay. Yeah. And Lark Park Lincoln runs off. She's had enough. So is Bill Maher. And so has Amy Asbeck. And they're never seen again. Nope. The whole rest of the movie. That is it. So now it's just going to focus on the two boys and Gramps, their pet baby pterodactyl, and their pet caterpillar dog, and the conflict of people trying to steal the skull. <sighs> this is when Cliff shows up. Yes. So John Ratzenberger shows up because they had called an electrician earlier because one switch wasn't working. He shows up and he's like, oh, I'll deal with it. And, you know, it's one of these wacky things where the overconfident handyman or whatever he breaks everything he, shows, he touches yeah but he's super overconfident it's like oh that looked cheap anyway and it, it's really really obnoxious and i'm like oh my god is this supposed to be funny i i wrote why are we taking a break from the movie for this ratzenberger bit did they think he was really that funny it's almost like oh this is the part where ratzenberger vamps you know, just let him do whatever he wants. Just let him explore the, the 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 stage and just try whatever and just keep the cameras rolling like he's fucking Robin Williams or something. The Aztecs show up and they steal the skull again after they finally get it away from the pterodactyl. They're like, oh, God, we got to deal with this. Where are the Aztecs? And Ratzenberger comes back in and is like, oh, I think you should see this. And they're like, well, not right now. And he's like, no, I really think you should see this. And he brings them there, and there's a hole in the wall. And I'm like, oh, God, this is just going to go on for forever. But then you look in, and you see it goes into nothing, even though there should be the other room on the other side of that wall. And he says, there it is. Looks like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. There it is. Looks like you got some kind of alternate universe in there or something. Don't worry, I've had, I've done this before. I really enjoyed yeah. that. That was one of the few moments says, that I laughed. He says one of those time portal things. You see these all the time in these old houses. And that was actually funny to me. I, I wrote down, okay, that was pretty funny. Yes. I that think. was great. It's the payoff to the Ratzenberger bit that was so obnoxious prior to that. I think that was one of the two times I laughed. And they're like, okay, well, we got to go in there to get back the skull or whatever. And he's like, all right, I'll join you. And he opens up his toolkit and he pulls out a sword that he just keeps in his toolkit. And I'm like, okay, this Ratzenberger thing is getting better and better. <laughs> and he joins them in this portal where they come across as part of this Aztec temple, a virgin sacrifice going on. Because of course there is. Mm -hmm. Is that a virgin? I've never seen one before. Yeah. 
Wah, wah. Jesus. <laughs> and then there's a sword fight. I wrote down this sword fight scene is certainly something. Yeah. They try to make it all adventurous. You can tell it's filmed, I mean, in somebody's oversized garage. Mm-hmm. It, they have no space to work with in this thing. It's like it's like half an NPR. <laughs> it's very it's cool. so small. They end up fighting off all the Aztecs and, and saving the Virgin, well, who, by the way, is only called the Virgin for the rest of the fucking movie, and getting the skull. And she becomes the love interest. Yes. Some For some reason. Well, it happens in tons of movies. When you save the, the, the cave woman or whatever and bring her back to your time, she can't talk. And isn't that the perfect woman? Like, that's... Ugh. But when they get back, so they... So- Cliff is like, leave me, I'll take care of it. He says, don't worry about me, I gotta get home, it's my kid's Little League night. And then I wrote down, is this the reason some people love this movie? Because I can understand that. (laughs) This character is awesome. I love him. I just love that when they get out, he's already there. Yes, when they get back out the other end, he's already cleaning up. And he's already done. And he hands them his, uh, his card... And it says something to the effect of electrician and part-time adventurer or something like that. Like, this is fantastic. And then he's out of our lives forever. We never see him again for the rest of the movie. Because, of course not. This, this It's a theme. They just need something to happen, and it happens, and then they just forget that thing was ever a part of the movie. Mm-hmm. So they got the skull back, and now they have this Aztec virgin... And they're making dinner, and the baby pterodactyl is there, sitting at the table, and the, and the friend caterpillar is, dog is the there. The friend is putting out the stuff for the dinner, and the joke is that the pterodactyl is still nipping at them, and the reason that he's nipping at him is because he's putting silverware down, and I'm just like, that is a fucking pterodactyl. Right. No, it's-, it's Why just- does it need fucking silverware? Because well, you wanted a joke of, yes, that the pterodactyl exactly. would nip exactly. at this guy. The fact that he's putting down silverware is not the joke. I understand. No, no, that's my point. I'm trying to point out to the audience. That's not the joke. So, it, 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 anyway. He gives this long speech about how he finally has a family. A family. He's known everyone here. Except for the friend. Well, except for the friend and except for the grandpa, like an hour max. <laughs> And the grandpa he's known for like a day. Yeah. And this is my new family. I'm not even going to try to reunite with my girlfriend. No. We're not going to follow that up with anything at all. He's moved on. Yes. And now he has a brand new family. Yes. So let's eat. And he takes off the head of this. So they brought out this platter and it has a covering on it because they decided they were going to do that. We never find out what's supposed to be under that covering because they take it off and it's the head of slim because they didn't know he was going to be in there i feel like the makers of this film were just like "Eh, the kids won't care yeah no that's it it's just like nobody care it's wacky house one was subtly wacky for the most part it had some very bizarre things in it but they all worked within the context of the story and they were hilarious and they're scary stuff and there was some scary stuff and it was hilarious because it was so unexpected right like the hand that's on that kid 
and he needs to take the hand off the kid and then convince the kid to shut up. The demon that has the lipstick and the eye makeup and everything. And, like, the one that comes out of the closet that's so terrifying. Like, yes. It's a great movie. It's and really then we good. And this as the sequel. Like I said, like, I feel like the makers were like, that was a weird movie. Let's make money off of it and make a second one. Yeah. What's it going to be about? I don't know. Who cares? It's comedy. It's for kids. Who cares? Like, yes. they didn't understand why the first one was so good. The good news is... Bill Cat, William Cat, comes back later on in the franchise. So if for whatever reason we continue watching house movies. As far as I know, as far as I know, it's like a cameo and he like dies right away. Yeah, uh-huh. he just connects it to the to the greater storyline, I guess, because they're embarrassed at what happened. So Slim shoots Gramps. Gramps is dying, but he hands his guns over to Jesse, who's very sad that Gramps is going to die. This is where Jesse finds out that that Slim's the one who killed his parents. But again, we have no idea what happened in, in the interim. Why some 30 years later, he finally inherits the house or whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. Slim runs off with the Aztec virgin and Charlie. And then Jesse chases them. And now they're in the old West where nobody is. It's just the empty old West set from some back lot. <laughs> Slim rides in on a zombie horse and Charlie and the Aztec Virgin are all tied up. There's this whole scene where Slim is trying to shoot Jesse because Jesse's bad at shooting him and they're running away and stuff. And eventually they make it back to our world where Jesse finds a rifle, and blows up Slim's head. Now, lest you think the movie's over and that there's not anything else to happen, during this shootout inside the house, we find out that somebody had called the cops. And now the cops have shown up. Meanwhile, I'm like, what happened to the girl and his friend? And Charlie, yeah, they're just gone. They're still in the Old the West. Old West. <laughs> they're just left there. This guy has the skull, it's like in his stomach, and he takes it out, because he can do that, apparently. And he's like, haha, it's mine. And they're like, no. And the cops come. The bad guy shoots, and it hits one of the cops. And they're like, oh, fuck! And then they start shooting at the main guy, because they think it's the main guy. And then it's this big shootout, and a bunch of people die. <laughs> yes. And so... With Gramps, he eventually dies, he passes away, and he tells Jesse, you know, get what you can out of this skull. Like, you deserve it or whatever. So, how does he get out of everything? The house is on fire, it's burning down, cops have been murdered. How does he get out of it? Why? He goes back to the Old West, where he lives the rest of his life with Charlie, the Aztec Virgin, the Caterpillar Dog, and the Baby Pterodactyl. In the Old West. Yep. And then they ride off in a little wagon where Charlie was sleeping, and that's the end of the movie. Yes. Would you be surprised to know that this movie was rated PG-13? Nope. Whereas the original was rated R? Nope. <sighs> Not surprised. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say? Do you have any lightning round stuff? There were some things that 
I was like, oh, we should put that in there because then we can put in a clip from other movies, like things that, that I was reminded of. Like, it's just for, not worth it. it. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, for example, like the part where he's in the in the land before time, <laughs> he, there's like a part where like he, he just kind of standing there and it's like, dude, are you going to shoot him? And I was like, shoot her! Like, I have a bunch of those. Yes, uh-huh. But this movie doesn't deserve that. No. <laughs> those movies don't deserve to be put against this. Again, Lou, watch the movie again. Please. I know you're really stoked about this movie. Because I talked to him about it. I'm like, Lou, what is this movie? And he's, like, writing me back all caps about how much he loves this movie. And I'm like, maybe go back and see yeah, it Yeah, when again. was the last time he watched <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, look, if you love it for nostalgia, I have nothing to say about that because I didn't see this when I was a kid. But look, even I, we said this during our cartoon week a couple weeks ago. We both loved An American Tale when we were kids. Yeah. And we've both watched it as adults. And no, it's not good anymore. It's so funny because no sooner did we say that than maybe a week later or something, one of the guys I follow on Twitter, ProZD, I mentioned him before, Sungwon Cho. He went on this diatribe about how awful An American Tale is because he just watched it again. He thought it was great. He watched it again, realized it's terrible, Mm -hmm. but he still loves Five Will Goes West. And I'm like, this is me. This is exactly me. Anyway. I didn't even like Five Will Goes West when I was a kid. (laughs) Kelsey. Yeah. What do you think that House 2, the second story, has... On Rotten Tomatoes. Keeping in mind there's only 11 official reviews for this movie. Nine? Holy shit, that's exactly right. As a 9%. That is awesome. Only one positive review out of all of the reviews. And even that one is like, it's not nearly as good as the first one. And it's kind of dumb, but I guess it might be worth watching. Ah! Like, that's that's its positive review. It has an audience score of 42%, though. Metacritic average rating is 31. And its cinema score, which actually got a cinema score <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> either the marketing people thought it was worth it or cinema score thought it was big enough to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. A C plus. Yikes. Yeah. I'm surprised it's that high, actually. Mm, that's what I mean. Yeah. So is 9%. Rotten Tomatoes, overrated or underrated? Uh, I'm going to say it's right. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a nine. I really enjoyed the John Ratzenberger stuff once it was set up. But nearly everything about this movie annoys the piss out of me. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I can give it... I was thinking a 20. I don't think I can give it a 20. (laughs) I'm going to give it a 17. It, I think we've said everything we need to say about this movie. Yeah. It's such a bummer because the first one was such a surprise. It really was. We loved that one. Mm-hmm. So. It's so funny because we went into that one expecting it to be garbage and it was great. So then when we went to this one, my expectations were a little high. Yeah. And I don't think it has anything to do with our high expectations either. I would be willing to admit, well... Okay, my expectations were too high and it didn't live up to them. No, like, objectively, this was... I say objectively. You know I mean subjectively. Uh, It's terrible. Yeah, it's really bad. Even though I did laugh at 
it's my son's little league night. I have to make it back. <laughs> it's one of those interdimensional portals there. Yeah, you see them sometimes in these old houses. Like, that's the only funny part. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And and to reiterate, not one single legitimate scare in the whole fucking movie. No. Even Slim. No. Wasn't scary. He looks ridiculous. Yeah. Which is too bad. Oh, well, now that we have that out of our system, Kelsey, we can move on to a completely separate sequel. But before we talk about our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. What 1978 classic horror film was originally titled The Babysitter Murders? Say again? I mean, I know what the answer is, but I want to make sure I'm not speaking out of turn. What was the year? 1978. Okay, Halloween. Yes. Yeah. When our next movie, 2016's The Conjuring 2, came out, it had the biggest opening weekend gross for a horror film in three years. What was the previous film? For horror movies? Yeah. So, biggest opening weekend gross for a horror film. In three years, no movie had been bigger than The Conjuring 2. So, three years prior to Conjuring 2, what had the biggest? Was it The Conjuring? It was The Conjuring. It was the first Conjuring. Uh, Now the record is held by It with $123 million. Which is quite a bit. That leads us very neatly into 2016's The Conjuring 2, directed by James Wan, with screenplay story and characters by Chad Hayes and Carrie W. Hayes, just screenplay and story by James Wan, and just screenplay by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick, directed by James Wan, starring Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, Madison Wolf, and Francis O'Connor. What is The Conjuring 2 about? The Warrens are back, but this time they're in jolly old England <laughs> to investigate a haunted house. This is a quote-unquote real haunting story. Yes, this really happened. The Enfield poltergeist. Just like Amityville happened. Which they name drop in this version. Just like the original Conjuring happened. Yes. These are real people, Chris. Well, the people are real. These are real events, All of the people are real. Well, most of the people are real. It's the events that are embellished. And by whom is the question? (laughs) You can rent the movie on iTunes and Amazon for $4 or buy it for 15 Should people watch The Conjuring 2? No. I think yes. I loved the first one. I love the first one insofar as it was more horror by James Wan, who, again, we're not big fans of the Saw franchise, but we love Insidious, Insidious 1 and 2. And I love it in that it's more of that. You only like it for that reason? I thought The Conjuring was really good. No, I like The Conjuring. What I'm saying is it's that kind of caliber. And it, it feels like, oh, you know what? I like I like Insidious. I want another Insidious movie. Okay, well, we have The Conjuring now. It's in a different universe, technically. But it has Patrick Wilson. It's directed by James Wan. Great. It's not quite as silly or over the top as Insidious is. But I like it a lot. This is more of that, which is why I say, yes, you should watch it if you liked the first Conjuring. That said, 
it's also way up its own ass. Yes. With trying to set up a multiverse. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason we're watching The Conjuring 2, we should probably tell you, is because we're going to be watching another movie in The Conjuring universe next week, and we wanted to make sure we saw this one. But this movie tries really hard to introduce a new character that they're going to spin off and make their own movie with. And it's way too up its own ass in that way. And it signals kind of a shift. I, In my opinion, it's the last good Conjuring movie. And it's not nearly as good as the first one because it's tainted by their hubris. Of knowing they wanted to do more spin-off Conjuring movies that I haven't seen yet because I'm absolutely not interested in. My problem is is that this movie is just an amalgamation of Insidious, Insidious 2, and The Conjuring, and it didn't do anything new, and it the CG is terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. But I think there's a lot to really like about this movie. And I that's why I say, if you like the first one, watch this one. Just don't expect it to be as good as the first one. Mm-hmm. That's why I say, lower your expectations a little bit and then watch it. I think you'll really enjoy it. You can pick which one of us to believe. And when we get back, we will talk about 2016's The Conjuring 2. In December 1977, paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren experienced a phenomenon. Don't you see it hiding in the dark? No one could explain. This year, witness the event. Something inhuman in that house. It shocked the world. The Conjuring 2, only in cinemas. Kelsey, could you get us started on the plot of Conjuring 2? We start with a little bit of narration from Lorraine Warren. Played by Vera Farmiga. And she explains that, you know, they've, they've seen a lot of things, but this one still haunts me. The question is, what is she talking about? Because the next thing we see is her at Amityville. Yes. And <laughs> so- as we know, when we discussed Amityville, they didn't show up until afterwards. Mm-hmm. After the family had already left. And they say as much in this movie. But they're trying to figure out what exactly is haunting this place. So they're having a seance with uh, other individuals. So who knows if she's talking about Amityville or if she's talking about the one in England. Or maybe both. No clarity. Because she sees the nun in both. Well, let's get there. As Chris said, she's holding a seance. When did we become clear that she had the ability to go into the further, which is exactly what she does here? <laughs> this is this strikes at the heart of one of Kelsey's problems with this movie is that The Conjuring and Insidious were two different properties. They're very similar in a lot of ways, but they were two different things. So why is this being like Insidious? Mm-hmm. But also, just when did she suddenly get this ability? Because we didn't see any of it in the original hey man, Conjuring. It's a sequel. You got to up the stakes by using stuff from your other property. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> 
So she walks around the further in this house, trying to figure out who's haunting this place. And it does the same thing that we've seen in many movies where everything is covered in sheets. And so the question is, where is the bad guy? Oh, and she, she, she sees people frozen in time, just like in Insidious. And she takes the place of the killer, Ronald DeFeo Jr., who killed his family before the Lutz family moved in. Which really did happen. Yes. So she is holding, like, a rifle in her hands, etc. And then, like, the gun will go off, and it, it's a really cool effect. Uh, it is a little close to Insidious, but it is a really cool effect that when you hear the gunshot, and it's kind of muffled, but you hear the gunshot, and then it cuts from the family alive or whatever the family member is alive and then an immediate cut to them having been shot with the blood splatter and everything you don't see the actual kinetic action which is really neat actually it's a great style but something again like kelsey says i would probably expect more in insidious because it happens in the cities exactly the same way. The weird sort of frozen in time sort of people in the further, yes, absolutely. And, and the shooting with the gun. Yeah. And then them being dead in the next shot. Yeah. This is when we get to meet the nun, as Chris said. And she did actually make me jump. The nun is like choking her, but then it's actually her choaking herself. Why the nun is there. And she's panicking and waking up and, well, see, this is the thing, is it's, they gave up, James Wan, it appears, gave up a lot of the content of this movie to setting up this nun character so he can then make another movie about the nun, which ends up making this movie feel unresolved uh, because there's a bigger context whereas in the original conjuring it was all self-contained but in the interest of making a larger universe of horror which is a great idea one of the downsides is that now every every interesting and intriguing item in this is a setup for another thing and everything is only ever a setup for another thing that can be really frustrating whereas again in the original he didn't have any of that it was very self-contained and there's something refreshing about that. And it also just doesn't make any sense that the nun would be there. Yeah, I forget what the explanation is. I think it's like, it it's that she sees a vision here. She's not in the further. She's seeing a vision, and she sees a vision of the future. So she's kind of time traveling in her mind at this point. It's not that the nun's there. It's that... She, it's a premonition. Good thing Lorraine has that ability. Yes. She also sees a little boy, and this goes back to pictures that were taken in the Amityville house where people say you can see, like, this ghost boy. Sure. <laughs> also, we find, I think it's here that we find out that she saw his death. Is it here or is it later? We know that she saw his death. She doesn't tell him that. She goes down, like, into a room or whatever, and then she sees him. She sees, like, the nun, and the nun points or whatever, and then she turns and she sees him, and he says something, and then all of a sudden this I'm sorry. stake just comes right through his back and out his chest. And supposedly, this is what she saw in the first movie, in the past of the first film, when she helped an exorcism and it made her go crazy for, like, a month. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's it all connects, man. Uh, and I'm fine with it connecting to itself. But then when you have all these spinoffs and everything. Anyway, I mean, we're not exactly setting you up for us to enjoy The Nun. We haven't seen it, but our hopes aren't high. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that'll mean we're surprised by it. Who knows? Cut to jolly old England where. And this is 1977, by the way. Where a young girl is at school and... Oh, oh, before we get the girl at school, we get a montage of London Calling, <laughs> which is, by the way, real original, and no one's ever done that before. <sighs> I, I wrote down, well, at least it's around the time, and then I researched it, and I figured out that the song actually came out in 1979, after this movie takes place. Uh, it didn't reach the U.S. until 1980, because it came out in 79, like in December or something like that. The events of the movie, I, external reports say that the Warrens went to investigate this particular haunting, the Enfield haunting, in 1978. But in the course of the movie, when Ed makes a recording, he says it's December 21st, 1977. So there's some inconsistencies here. They're fudging with the dates a little bit, just so they can do a really tired trope of London calling over a London montage. Like, James Wan, I expect better of you. Yeah. You set our our expectations way too high. Way too high with the first three movies that we really saw and liked of yours when mm -hmm. we knew it was yours. We should have taken Saw into further account? into account. Yeah, uh -huh, mm -hmm. probably. We're not Saw fans. I know a lot of people are, and I totally get it. It just falls too much into that torture porn thing, which just we personally don't like. It's totally fine. We don't shame anybody that likes the Saw franchise. So, we see this girl. She's sitting at school during break, and her friend is smoking a cigarette, and her friend hands it to her for some reason and they get caught and she's got the cigarette in her hand so it looks like she was also smoking yes the teacher takes it from her and then smokes it <laughs> yes after she sends them inside cut to the end of the day when we meet the rest of her brothers and sisters we find out that she has a brother who has a stutter and his name yes is bill Yep. Another stuttering Bill. Billy boy. But that's this this all may be actually true. Yes. We don't know about the one of the children having a stutter. It's only in the movie to reinforce that this is a family that sticks up for each other. Yeah. Cause the kid makes fun of him and they all like Yeah. Fuck you, I'll fight you. Uh-huh. But again, if a family's being haunted, your strongest asset is each other. Yes. They want us to know that this family is super poor, and they make that clear through, like, the house they live in and the fact that, like, the mom has to give up her cigarettes just so that her kid can have cookies. Like, but that doesn't play into the story in any way. Well, they're on hard times, and spirits like to take advantage of homes that are already in turmoil, I think uh. Ed says at one point. Okay. All right. I've been through so much. Now all this is happening on top. Yeah, the timing isn't a coincidence. Negative entities often feed off emotional distress. They like to kick you when you're down. Well, that hardly seems fair. No, it really isn't. We find out that she has her own homemade spirit board. Yep. <laughs> they made their own version of Ouija for some reason. And she is under the impression that it can work. 
She is also under the impression that she is sleepwalking because she is waking up in the living room. There's a chair in the living room that sits in the corner that she keeps waking up in. And other people find her there, too. Like, at one point, her mom finds her there. Yes. The fact that the kid has a stutter plays into the fact that they have this little light thing where you put the light in it and it turns. And so you can see images turning on the walls and they they have him repeat the crooked man. No, this is it's a zoetrope, which you might have seen if you've gone to Disneyland and you see all the uh, the Toy Story characters dancing around and stuff like that. You have an image that repeats just like a, an animation cell or, or a film strip or something like that. It repeats and it goes in a circle and it loops the animation and then you strobe a light at just the right time and it looks like it's actually moving. And they have this and it does, like like Kelsey says, the Crooked Man song. It's alright. Let's try again. Ready? He found a crooked sixpence upon a crooked stall. He bought a crooked cat, which caught a crooked mouse, and they all lived together in a little crooked house. It is fun and it is creepy. We do eventually see the crooked man. It's silly as fuck. It's a terrible, terrible... Um, it's neat, but it, you can't take it seriously at all. No. there's. I have a comment about that a little bit later on that kind of explains that. But of course, the Crooked Man is getting his own movie, which doesn't make sense <laughs> when you hear the explanation as to why the Crooked Man is the way he is later on. We'll, we'll get there. That is important because the Crooked Man will become a character. So... Janet, the main little girl, she is having some sort of nightmare where she is yelling out in a very disturbing voice, and the sister just assumes that she's having a nightmare, so the sister tries to wake her up. Well, Janet ends up standing up and saying, this is my house, get out, and then she keeps telling him, leave my brother alone, and he says, I'm gonna play with Billy. I'm going to keep playing with him. And she says, leave him alone. And she says, if you don't, I'll tell my mom. And the, the evil version of her says, if you tell your mom, I'll fucking kill her. Yeah. <laughs> this is my house. No, no, it's not. Go away. Who are you? What are you doing here? Playing a game with Billy. Leave Billy alone. You're the one trespassing. Janet, wake up. I'll tell my mom if you don't stop. I'll break her neck. No. Please. Dying with no. Billy. No. And so, so the oldest is kind of freaked out by this. Yes, the oldest is very afraid of this. The sister keeps trying to kind of convince herself, oh, she's just dreaming. Until. Until she hears a whisper from behind her. Yeah. There's also a moment, and it's not really important, how they're staggered in between scenes, just that it happens in this order. There's a moment where the girls freak out because Janet, the girl who's being possessed, her comforter gets ripped off her bed. 
seemingly by nothing. Very similar to the original Conjuring. Right. They freak out. The all do the same things, uh-huh. guys. They talk to the mom. The mom's like, are you kidding me? And she gets kind of upset at them until the furniture in the kitchen where they are starts moving on its own. Or maybe they're in the bedroom. doesn't matter. She sees the furniture move. And so she knows that something is actually happening. There's other little things that also happen. Uh-huh. The little boy's fire truck. Moves on its own Mo- comes in the out, middle of the night. Comes out of the teepee. It's a pretty creepy scene. It is. He and has I, like this 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 tent set up on their stair landing area, like the h- upstairs hallway landing. And it's kind of creepy because it's not well lit at night. And I kind of love that the kid kind of has that whole, I'm not seeing this. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's not this happening. happening. <laughs> uh-huh. I, like, I like it when horror movies have characters have that response because it... It's very real. I imagine that a lot of people, if confronted with something terrifying and un... Like, you can't explain it. It's just like, nope, didn't happen. Right. Can't can't explain it, so it did not happen kind of response. So, furniture moves a lot. The chair that's in the living room seems to rock on its own. Janet keeps waking up in the chair. As Chris said, the mom starts to get freaked out because she's starting to see and hear things too. So they end up calling the police, and the police and of getting course, the neighbors involved too. Yes, yeah. And of course, the police are just like, "This is some bullshit." And they're but when they're in there, things move. Right. I love that. I love that because there's nothing more frustrating in a haunting movie. I it really gets on my nerves when. Somebody tries to appeal to authority, and then that authority figure actually shows up, and then nothing happens, and now nobody believes. Like, somebody who sees things happening and nobody believes them can get really fucking frustrating. And it's not fun, and I'm really tired of it, and it's a huge trope of horror movies, haunting movies in particular. What is refreshing about this is that the police actually see it happen, and they come to the same conclusion. What do you want us to do? They kind of deny it. They they're no. not they don't they don't tell them we don't see anything, but they basically say we can't help you and they leave and it's No, not that's like, my point. There's nothing they can do. Right, but they're not going to go and tell the police. Well, because this the police aren't gonna happening. do anything. They say we're gonna put it in our report. It's gonna end up in the report. I'm pretty sure they say that they won't end up in the report. No, they say they will. If anyone asks us, we'll tell them what they what we saw, but there's nothing we can do here. What do you want? We're the police. We don't even carry guns. So they tell them to go and speak to a priest. Well, there's uh, nothing we can do about that. We can file an incident report and we'll stand by it if anyone asks, but that's about all. A report? Oh, that's brilliant. Every problem I have, there's another bloody form to fill out. For God's sake. Listen, I think this is a bit beyond us. The priest at our church is a family friend. I'll ask him to call on you. This ends up blowing up into a big thing. Where they they talk to the church, the news reporters get involved, they interview the police officers, and they're like, yeah, we saw the furniture move. And uh, other investigators get really into it. There's one guy, his name is uh, Morris Gross. It's spelled Maurice, but they call him Morris, which I guess is a British thing. He gets involved, and he totally buys into it. So we're building up and building up, but ultimately, like we've seen happen before in other movies, the church refuses to get involved 
until they can confirm that something is actually happening. And they can't be the ones to do that. They need an independent third party to do that before the church can be seen to validate that this stuff is happening. So ultimately, they try to get a hold of Ed and Lorraine Warren, Ed, who has a really good relationship with the Catholic Church. So while all this is going on, stuff is going on in the Warren household as well. Ed is not sleeping as much. He has this vision in his head, and so he tries to paint it because he's an artist. When Lorraine sees it, she sees that it's the nun that she saw from the Amityville house. And by the way, I did make a note here where James Wan has said, quote, Lorraine is just having a psychic premonition about what happens in England. And I put in parentheses, that's why it just grabs her and doesn't do anything else. It just disappears. It doesn't harm her in any way. It doesn't really interact with her in any way. It just shows her a vision and then disappears. Why? Because she has a premonitory power. I don't know. Premontory? I don't know. Anyway, it's the same nun. Oh, geez. And she tries to tell him without telling him what she saw, which is it's a post-it note problem, which doesn't last very long. I think you guys have heard me talk about post-it note problems. It's the sort of thing where you could solve the entire conflict by just writing one thing down on a post-it note, and, and that would solve everything. But when you're trying to convince your husband we shouldn't do our jobs anymore and you're not going to tell him why, of course there's going to be conflict. So... He tries to negotiate, okay, well, maybe we'll do this, maybe we won't do that, et cetera, et cetera. But ultimately, it does come out that she says, that nun that you drew a picture of, I saw that nun, and I saw your death. And he, he tells her, listen, I'll, I'll be careful, and I'll try to do my best, but, you know, I can't make any promises that I won't try to help people. Well, he also says, maybe it's because you're supposed to prevent my death. Yeah. Maybe that's why you're being shown this vision is because you're going to save me. So fate doesn't exist. What do you mean? I that mean, would imply fate does exist. No, because if he's fated to die. No, 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 no. Not fated to die. She just sees his death. She sees his death because she's fated to help him. Then what's the point? No, fate's bullshit anyway. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that they are trying to create this universe Mm -hmm. Where God exists. Yes. Where demons exist. Mm -hmm. And then they're saying, he's, he, they're, the premonition is that he's going to die. Well, but you need to know that in advance so that you can save him. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, if she's fated to save him, why does she need to see it ahead of time? Like, it just, it, it, no, it no, doesn't no, make sense. It, because God works in mysterious ways Ugh. and you can always fall back on that excuse. It explains absolutely everything. In any case. So. One night, she goes downstairs to his art room. I guess where he has like a piano and stuff and everything. And all the lights go out. And she's locked in the room. And freaky shit's happening. And she sees the painting of the nun on the wall. Until she sees a shadow walk behind her and along the wall of the room and then to the painting. And then it's lined up with the painting of the nun. It's just her height. He mounted it perfectly. And then hands wrap around from the outside of the painting and hold on to the frame. And then the whole body comes out of the wall and carries the painting with it because 
the painting of the nun in the frame is actually the nun. And I gotta say, I fucking love that moment. I think that's totally awesome. When you explain it in words, it sounds like nonsense. <laughs> but in the moment, it's it's really it's a jump scare, of course, but it's a really awesome one. In the same way that the lipstick demon over Patrick Wilson's shoulder in The First Insidious is a great jump scare. So they go to England. Because they did, in fact, get this call. Hey, you need to save this family. And Ed feels bad about it. And we never find out how they take care of their daughter while they're gone. (laughs) Yes. So they go and they're interviewing the family and they're walking around and the mother unlocks the door of her daughter's room very similar to poltergeist we keep we keep the room locked now yeah uh-huh. uh they go in and it the room is is the walls are covered in crosses and he's like uh what's going on and she's like oh the neighbors have been donating them i love that there's an explanation because they could have just done it because it's cool and twisted right but no they have an in-world explanation for why it's like that she's like i didn't know what else to do so i just put them up And he asks her, has it helped? (laughs) She's like, no. (laughs) The neighbors donated them and I hung them up hoping I'd keep things from moving around. Has it worked? No, we can hear it all night. While they're doing the walk around with Ed, Lorraine's outside talking to Janet. And they talk about... Very similar to mm-hmm. the original Conjuring, where she sits outside with the little girl, and she's saying, uh, my friend talks to me. It's the same thing. Right, but I mean, you can't be upset that there's too many connections to other non-Conjuring movies, and then when there's connections to Conjuring movies, get upset. Like, that doesn't track. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. I can when you're making the same beats for each sure. story. Yeah, but I w- that's your point, though. I want to yes. stress. There's even a moment where, like, oh, what does it say to you? And Janet says, oh, it says this thing, she's going to hurt you, blah, blah, blah. She doesn't like Lorraine or whatever. Oh, yeah? When did when did the spirit tell you this? Right now. It said it wants to hurt you. When did it say that? Right now. Spooky, but it is kind of actually. Yes. So they decide, okay, we're going to have you sit in the chair and we're going to talk to him. Mm -hmm. And just to prove that you're not doing anything weird, you're going to drink a glass of water and keep it in your mouth. Yes. But the spirit's shy. Yes. The spirit says, I won't do it unless you're not looking at me. Uh Uh-huh. Convenient. And the movie knows this. The yes. movie recognizes that this is very convenient, and there's a lot of contrivances that point to this might all be a hoax. It's the whole reason why the Warrens are there. But she does do it with water in her mouth. Mm-hmm. They start talking to him, and they find out that he died there, he died in that chair, and that he wanted to come back to see his family and friends. But they had all gone. Yes, they yeah. had all gone. Ed tries to explain, well, yeah, you passed away and you've been gone for a long time. They've all moved away, which is why you don't belong here either. And this ghost isn't having any of it. Yeah, basically the ghost leaves after that. Bill Wilkins is the ghost's name, by the way. Not to be confused with Billy, one of the kids. So after this interview is over, we see the girl swallow her water. But again, we- Spit it out. 
yeah, sorry, she spits it out. But the way this is shot is actually really clever, where we see Ed looking at the camera, and he's kind of off to the side of the frame, and she is center frame, but out of focus. So there's this depth of field effect happening, and we see her face sort of change, but we can't quite make out what it changes to this whole time. And at some point, Ed, like, holds up a cross, and he doesn't like that, and... They get this all on tape, and there are things that seem like, oh, but yeah, if it was a hoax, this is so easy how she could do this. But other things like, how does she make her voice like that? How does she know about this Bill Wilkins fellow who really exists, you know? And one of the other investigators who's there, Anita Gregory with Morris Gross, is skeptical. And so she has an excuse. Well, it's in the newspapers. Like, it's public knowledge that this man died. You know, she just needed to find it somewhere. That's it. But in any case, because everyone's tense and the Warrens are going to be staying there for a couple of days, Ed tries to lighten the mood and he asks if he can play some music. And they say, well, the record player doesn't work. It broke because the spirit did it or whatever. And so he's like, well, you have a guitar over there. And the eldest daughter says, yeah, our dad left it here because the dad left them. Our dad left it here for me, but I still haven't learned how to play or whatever. He's like, well, I know how to play. And he plays, uh, what is it, Fool's Rush In by Elvis? Was man. That one? It's an Elvis song. I don't remember which one it is. Only fools rush in. Thank you. <laughs> hey, don't laugh now. <laughs> but I can't help falling in love. With you. Side note, yes, Patrick Wilson did his own singing. Well, yeah, he was in Phantom. He was in Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> As Raoul. <laughs> he is absolutely not the worst singer in that movie. Uh, he's he's all right, actually, and he does a lot of, there's like video you can find of him online doing more Elvis stuff. He's a performer by heart, you know? For I can't help falling in love with you. Thank you very much. So it's a nice little moment and it gets everyone feeling good and Lorraine gets to look at him with loving eyes. You know, it's one of those moments and she recognizes how important he is to her and He's, like, singing to her, so. And just like in the original Conjuring, he gets to work helping out with the house with the manly duties yep, that can't uh -huh, be done. Like when he was working on the truck, I think, mm -hmm. or their car in the original Conjuring. Now he's working on the plumbing and everything, and it's going to become a factor. <laughs> and then shit happens that seems to be very obviously possessions they find her in a very strange spot where it's like how the fuck did she get in there she's in the locked room and, and she's repeating the same things over and over again but it doesn't make any sense yeah she's talking as bill wilkins and part of it during the seance moment where they have a conversation with him part of part of it during another moment and he's yeah saying these words that just don't make sense together and it's really weird things are flying and moving around but everything eventually comes to a head when the kids are freaking out because, like, the kitchen's haunted. And Bill is like, I'm going to take care of this. And he goes into the kitchen. And when he goes into the kitchen, 
Janet's already in there. She's already in the kitchen somehow, and she's going to attack him, and nobody can get in. And when they finally break down the door and save the kids, and Janet's all curled up inside underneath the, one of the cabinets in a position that it would have been almost impossible for her to get in, Anita Gregory, one of the other researchers, comes to them and is like, I have to show you something. You have to see this. And she shows them videotape. They had cameras looking into the kitchen at the time. And she was in there physically bending utensils and stuff like that, where it's to be believed that the ghost did it. But we see her doing all this stuff and making all this mess independently. And she doesn't appear to be possessed. A few things about this, and I love how they did this in the movie, but in real life, the girls have admitted to making some of it up. They say about maybe 2% of it was was lies, but the haunting really did happen. Well, because here's the thing. Things happen to you, and people don't believe you. Yeah. So you kind of have to embellish it a little bit. And that's... To try and get them to believe that the, the real thing happened. That's what she tells everybody... And the Warrens recognize, well, shit, this part's fake. And it doesn't matter that we believe the rest of it's real. This is enough to put a stain on the reputation of the church if they show up and try to deal with this. I mean, it sucks, but I got to tell the church that they can't get involved. And so they go to leave. And we find out Janet tells Margaret, the older sister, that the spirit was telling her, if you don't get rid of them, I will kill them. And so it's not to get people to believe her. It was specifically to get caught so they would leave. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we've had this whole thing where Lorraine kept having dreams about the nun. Yeah. And like at one point she like ripped up a book, but apparently she did it. Her Bible, but apparently she did it by like spelling out their name. The name yeah. of the nun. And if you pay attention... It's like fucking Rumpelstiltskin. Yes, it is. But it's not a new thing. Knowing the name of a demon gives you power over it. It's it's a whole thing. It's in plenty of other shit and not just like for movies. Like fairy tales. Yes. But anyway, if you pay attention, you can see the demon's name in various places throughout the movie, just in the background and stuff. So they, they're about to get on the train and Ed drops his bag and one of the spools of tape falls out and then he thinks about it. These two spools cross each other and that gives him the bright idea. What if I play those two recordings at the same time? Remember when we didn't know what the demon was saying? <laughs> and so they do and they get it perfectly cued at exactly the right place on the first try. But whatever, I guess it would be boring if we saw them trying to line it all up. Enhance. Yes, enhance. <laughs> and we find out what the demon was actually saying or trying to communicate, but it was being prevented from communicating. Help, please, it won't let me go. Help me, it won't let me go. Help me, it won't let me go. So this is how we find out that Bill Wilkins is not actually the demon. The demon is the nun who's controlling Bill Wilkins. And I have written down here, yo dog, I heard you like ghosts. So we put a ghost in your ghost so you can haunt while you haunt. (laughs) 
Uh, for those of you that have never seen Pimp My Ride, you might not know what that's about <laughs> or the memes associated with it. Uh, but in any case... Yo-yo, I heard you like yo-yo, so I yo-yo. put yo-yo in your yo-yo. So you can yo-yo while you yo-yo-yo. <laughs> so they're like, oh shit, we figured out what's really going on and why all this stuff is happening. We gotta go back and we gotta save her. We gotta do it now. So they get the neighbor to drive them back. And so it's the three of them, the neighbor guy from across the street, Ed and Lorraine, and they all go back and they need to get in the house. But now shit's going absolutely crazy inside the house. Ed manages to find his way into the house through a window. He breaks a window and he climbs in and then furniture covers up that window so nobody else can get in that way. He tries to find a way to get them in, which is through the basement, which is flooded. And Ed and Lorraine are talking to each other through the door. And Lorraine's really worried because she's like, this is the moment. Lightning has struck the tree in the front yard and it's making this spear shape, which I saw impale you before. This is it. This is how it happens. Ed, whatever you do, do not go deeper into this house. And he's like, I'm sorry. I got to help this little girl. I can't just leave this little girl to this demon. I know I made a promise to you, hon. But I have to do this. I love you, Lorraine. And no! No! So the neighbor is trying to break down the door, but in the meantime, Ed goes and tries to save the girl. He goes upstairs, which is the window right above this tree, and the girl is standing there and she's about to jump out, in quotes. She's really being controlled. And he grabs her and he's hanging over this tree and he's holding her by uh, and, and he's holding on to the curtains and the curtains are starting to snap. And she's like, wait, I know. I know how to stop the demon. I know the demon's name. And so she goes to her trunk and the, the other girls are out there like, what's going on? Oh, I know the demon's name. And so she goes to her Bible and she sees it spelled out. It's Valak. V-A-L-A-K. And so now she's managed to break into the house and she gets up into the room and he's about to fall onto the tree. And she gives this whole speech about how I know your name. And since I know your name, I can control you. Valak! <laughs> and the nun's like, <laughs> and then it disappears and then everything calms down. Yeah. And he is saved. Yeah. He doesn't get impaled. Oh, at one point, while he's going through the house, he runs into the Crooked Man. We didn't mention that. And the Crooked Man is kind of a cool design. It has this really big, wide smile, but his hat is pulled down over his eyes, and then he wears the glasses on the brim of the hat, like where his eyes would be, and it totally doesn't make sense that a demon would look like this. But we know that what's happening is the nun demon, Valak, is posing as these other spirits. And so it's the crooked man isn't really real. It use it's using the crooked man because she knows that that's what's going to scare these kids because they have this crooked man toy and it uses that against them. The question is, what does this mean for the crooked man movie that's going to be coming out next year? If the crooked man isn't really a demon, what does it mean for the crooked man movie? Mhm. It also begs the question. Uh-huh. Why does the demon need spirits? Is it to, to conceal its identity? I guess, maybe. It needs to use things that the people are going to be scared of. So they wouldn't be afraid of a creepy-ass nun? I guess not. No, you're right. And here's the thing. 
here's the thing about all this. All of the nun stuff was done in reshoots. Originally, this was a generic sort of horned demon. And they changed it to a nun after the fact. And they did reshoots and added it back in and added in some of these nun elements, like with the painting and all of that. That was done in reshoots. So this was a self-contained story, just like the first one was, until they decided against it and wanted to make a bigger Conjuring universe. And so the reason that this nun is the way it is and it kind of doesn't make any sense and it's related to all these other things is because it is an explicit attempt to try to capitalize on it. Don't say that the original was a self-contained story because it fucking wasn't. Because it's the Warrens? They spun off with Annabelle. Right, but again, Annabelle had nothing to do with the Conjuring storyline. I guess. Annabelle, uh, I know people want us to watch Annabelle. <laughs> there are three Annabelle movies. Yep. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. It's really funny because you know, everyone knows, the real Annabelle is a Raggedy Ann doll. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look anything like that. Because mm-hmm. then you start asking questions, who would fucking own a doll that looked like that? Like, it's just so obviously evil looking that it doesn't, like, that's the conflict, right? It needs to be a doll that a kid would own, but it also needs to be scary. And they went the scary route, and now they can't explain why a kid would own a doll that looks like that. Let me ask you something. Your dolls can be creepy. Uh, That's what I was going to ask Right, but none of them are Annabelle creepy, where it's, like, got the black eyes and it's cracked yeah like it looks like it looks like what ends up happening to chucky (laughs) already but chucky from the get-go is a little creepy like some of your dolls are but it looks like something a kid would own i just imagine i haven't seen it i imagine that in the first annabelle spinoff she was probably a cuter looking doll and I hope she so but I don't I doubt it time? I doubt it I'm sure people could tell us I'm sure we'll watch the movies eventually Some people would say that my dolls are scary just because they're, they're porcelain, porcelain dolls. dolls yes and that's it I look at them I don't see anything scary about their faces Well it's just that they're like they're they're kind of uncanny Right? right. They've got this like frozen life quality to them. And I can understand why that might creep people out. Yeah, but that's not what Annabelle is. Right. <laughs> Annabelle looks like, hey, what if <laughs> a doll you made a demon evil. of a doll or a doll of a demon rather? <laughs> like that's what it looks like. And so it doesn't make any sense. But we're getting off off track. This is the actual ghost that is the big bad in this movie was retconned after the fact to be a different demon so they could make another movie spin-off of it just like they did with Annabelle. It's terrible. Yeah, and it's kind of frustrating and a little it bit. Hurt it hurts the movie. A lot. It, I think so. But I mean the whole the whole point was the reason it happened is because there is a religious element to these movies where Ed is explicitly religious, Lorraine has the power the whole point is it needs to be something that's contrary to Lorraine's faith. And well, so I it's guess a nun. we'll find it's out, won't we? Nun. We will find out. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about this, Kelsey? I just want to say I enjoy the characters. Yes. I love I love Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. I, I do enjoy them. them. They're fantastic. I actually thought the little girl did a very good job. Uh-huh. 
I, I mean, that's hard for a kid to do. So I was very impressed with that. Mm-hmm. But the whole nun thing is bullshit. Yeah. The crooked man is infuriatingly bad. It doesn't look like it's there. It looks like a computer graphic. Yeah. The colors. I don't know why he decided to give him such bright colors. Because it makes it so glaringly obvious that it's not there. Yeah, because he's got this red suit on. And it's also this weird sort of forced perspective thing where it's almost like it's shot or designed to look like it's shot on this wide angle lens from a really low angle. Because he's the crooked man. He needs to have long limbs with gangly joints and stuff like that. And then he like leans in really close. And it's almost like it's Jack Skellington or something. Mm -hmm. But bright red with a stupid hat. And now I'm supposed to be scared of this thing. Yeah, there's nothing scary about it. So it doesn't even look real. But I, I, I mean, I love the design in and of itself. Outside the context of this movie, I think it's pretty funny and I think it's pretty awesome. But I do not believe it for one second. And that's a problem in a movie like this. Especially when you consider how good the first one was. And that's the thing. I think this has all the markers of quality of the first one. It's just what they did with that skill. It's a little bit of a letdown. It's like they saw dollar signs in their eyes. Exactly. Yeah. It just feels like this was just making money. And that's a big bummer because when we originally sat down to see Insidious... Mm -hmm. We had no idea. No clue. We saw it in the theater. Yeah. We in had the middle of a day when we were just bored and had nothing to do. Yeah. And so we went and saw it and were blown away. We absolutely loved Insidious. And then we saw The Conjuring and were blown away. And we saw Insidious 2. Blown away. We loved how it connected so cleanly with the first one. And it was, it was so great. And then Insidious 3. Ugh. No, I think on its own it's fine, but how they tried to make it about... Oh, I despised that movie. Yeah, I don't think it fits as cleanly in with the first two as they do with each other. And we then the fourth one we didn't even one. see. So, James Wan... Get it together, man. <laughs> you have talent. He absolutely... He, you know, I know we say before that like, oh, you know, there's a lot of potential here. There's not potential. There is realized outcomes that we've seen from his talent and there's great stuff and now it's being squandered yeah and this effort to for him to produce things instead of actually directing them mm -hmm. and he wanted to like spin up this this larger universe instead of like making the movie he's working on good mm -hmm. so yeah that's about it for me i have a, a like a couple of things i'm not going to go over everything but we see into their artifact den the Warren's artifact den where they put the crooked man zoetrope. There's tons of other things. The one thing I really want to know about is the samurai outfit. <laughs> I see that every time and I fucking, oh man, I really want to know about that. <laughs> Instead, we get three Annabelle movies and a nun movie. I can't remember if I already talked about this before the jump or not, but the first one, they wanted to get a PG-13 it got an R, and they're like, ah, fine. I mean, we were shooting for a 13. It got an R. Maybe we can tone it up a little bit. This one, because the first one got an R, they're like, okay, well, now we can get an R with this one. So it's a little bit more intense, I think, than the first one. It's not just what happens in the first one is a little bit more, more PG-13 horror. It's because 
because of intensity. It doesn't have quite the same intensity that this one has. I guess, but like the first one was far scarier. Because it was a little bit more, it felt less like a roller coaster ride than it did a haunted house. I guess, but like those clapping hands, man. Yeah, so great. But but Dude, that's a I but screamed. that's a PG thirteen scare. I screamed. Yeah, but that's <laughs> a scare you can put in a PG thirteen movie. But in this one, nobody dies. It was just so good because it was just so unexpected. Yeah. I think that's it. That's all I have to say about the movie. Kelsey, with that in mind, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? Let me guess. Well, hold on. When we recorded our fourth episode, the first Conjuring had a Rotten Tomatoes of 86. What do you think this one has? How about a 67? Try an 80. Wow. So not as highly rated, but still well regarded. Uh, the Conjuring 2 can't help but lose a bit of its predecessor's chilly sting through familiarity. But what remains is still a superior ghost story told with spine-tingling skill. And I will say that I, I do think that is accurate. Like I said before, I think you guys should watch this. I do think it's a good movie. It's just now we have the higher standard of the original and the, the first two Insidious movies that it doesn't quite live up to. Uh, it has a Metacritic of 65 and a cinema score of an A-. minus. Jeez. Yeah, people really liked it walking out of the theater. Jeez. So, do you think that's overrated or underrated? Definitely overrated. What would you give it? Okay, you gave the original an 89. I gave it an 86. I'm going to give this one a 56. Ouch. Ouch. You, uh, I mean, you you said at the beginning you didn't think people needed to even watch this one. Yeah. I mean, it's not terrible. That's why I'm giving it over 50. Mm -hmm. And it gets that additional bump because I thought the girl did a really good job. But I mean, basically, unless they totally dropped the ball, it was gonna get a 50. I mean, like, I love Patrick Wilson and Farmiga. Yeah. I like their relationship. I like... That stuff, and I and I love haunted house movies, so uh -huh. it was probably going to do pretty okay in the beginning, and then it got that a little additional bump because I thought that girl did a really good job. But the bizarre concepts that are happening in this movie that just have nothing to do with the Enfield haunting, haunting. like I want to learn about this haunting. I don't want you to prepare me for your next movie. Right. That really turned me off. The crooked man looks awful. But again, I liked the design. <laughs> the movie is a little long. It's longer than it, it needs a to be. Long, yeah. And so that means it's filled with fluff, which I'm never going to give you points for that. So mm. <laughs> just no good. No, it's 56. I am going to give it I'm going to give it a 74. Lord, I was expecting you to give it something in the 60s. No, like I said, I think this is a good movie and I think you should watch it. It's just I don't think it's nearly as good as the original. That's also a huge problem for it. That probably takes away. Took away 12 points for me. But you know what? To put that in perspective, that on top of the fact that it's, the, it, it's seen more as a, it's more interested in setting up the other movies than it is in 
making itself good, that is kind of offensive. It's very offensive. It's it's telling your audience, I only want your money. And I'm aware that Hollywood wants my money. I don't need you to remind me of that. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll lower it then. I'll lower it to a 70. I think you've made a good argument there. I, I think I need a wider gap between the first one and this one. But I still think it's good. Hence, 70. I mean, that's a good, that, that's a solid 10% for me right there. Uh-huh. Just you slapping me in the face and saying, I don't give a shit that you're watching this movie. Give me money for the next movie I'm making. This was not a good week for Kelsey. No. It really wasn't. She did not like either of these movies. No. I didn't like House 2. So, Kelsey, that's this week's episode. Yeah. Next week is our episode that's the week of Halloween. And we made a promise to everybody. Every Halloween, we will cover a Halloween movie. Because we've got lots of them. There are lots. (laughs) Which means we're watching Halloween 3. Season of the Witch, which is famously a spinoff from Michael Myers, what would become the Michael Myers franchise. We we mentioned before when Halloween 2 came out that he didn't really want to do Halloween 2, but it was more like, if you don't, I need to protect it. Yes, yeah. And so he wrote it. He didn't direct it. Which always makes me laugh because it's it, it's such a shitty movie. Like, and And you know it's because they were forced to do it. Yeah. And yet their whole thing was, well, I want to protect it. But then you made it shit. The same thing happened. Well, I don't think they meant to make it shit. The same thing happened with Thomas Harris. Oh, yes. We want to make another Hannibal movie. But I haven't written another Hannibal book. Well, you either do that or we're going to do it for you. Yeah. Well, I don't want anybody else touching it, but then I'm going to make it shit. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, what? Hannibal Rising? Is yes. that what it is? Which yes. Which is god awful. <laughs> so what he said is he would make another Halloween movie. But on one condition, we have to respect the continuity already established. Michael Myers is dead. So we cannot have another Michael Myers movie. So what I propose instead is an anthology series. We continue making Halloween movies. I'll continue making them. Uh, I'll write them. I'll work on the music. But there'll be new stories centered around the concept of Halloween. And they decided to give him a shot at this. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't ultimately get credit for writing this because the director did a rewrite on it. But he did write one version of the script. He did do music along with somebody else. And we'll get into that next week. It should tell you something that every single Halloween movie after this one includes Michael Myers again. (laughs) This was not well received. (laughs) I fucking love it. Part of the reason I love it is because of the history and the context, though. So I, I, I feel like, you know, I didn't really like Return of the Living Dead. And I, we get a lot of shit for that. So what's different about this, that it's a kind of silly entry in this franchise? It, the context matters quite a bit. Plus Tom Atkins, ladies man. He's in it. Really, really excited to talk to you guys about this one. That is next week for our Halloween episode. But since we're doing spinoffs from franchises, Kelsey, what's our modern day movie we're watching along with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch? We're going to watch The Nun. We're doing it. That's why we needed to get this one in here first. So we can watch The Nun for Halloween. 
bizarre spinoffs that have nothing to do with the original <laughs> thing. Yeah. And as as we know, really didn't have anything to do with the first two Conjuring movies until they retroactively put the nun in this one. Mm-hmm. So, which is not the same as Annabelle because Annabelle was in the original from the get go. Yes, they told that story as a as a little vignette on the Warrens and what they do. And people liked it, so they're like, oh, let's make another one. Plus you're Three probably more. Plus you're probably wondering, well, when the fuck are you gonna watch Annabelle? Well, guys, there's a whole child's play series that we can watch them <laughs> with. I hope you're happy. I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, until next week when you join us for our special Halloween episode of Pod Cemetery, you can always reach us on our website, podcemetery.com. You can browse a list of every one of our movies there. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Pod Cemetery. We post a lot of extra stuff for each one of our episodes, so you should check us out there. Links in the description. Don't forget to subscribe to us at your podcatcher of choice, and a five-star written review. A five-star written review in iTunes is a huge, huge help for us. So if you have the time and feel so inclined, please do that. Share us with your friends. That's also a big help. But the biggest thing you can do for us any week is listening to us in the first place. So thank each and every one of you. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? There was a crooked man, and he walked a crooked mile. The crooked man stepped forth and rang the crooked bell, and thus his crooked soul spiraled into a crooked hell, murdered his crooked family, and laughed a crooked laugh. To the sacred place To see a dream I can't escape Molders and fangs that are picking up bones Spirits moaning among the tombstones Get downstairs, Clarence! They're coming! Gramps can boogie and have a good time. On top of which, they're acting as if the skull had been there prior and it's disappeared and they don't know where it is except that what you find out is that the skull has been missing. There are two skulls. Oh. Who cares? There are two. <laughs> Try whatever and just keep the cameras rolling like he's fucking Robin Williams or something. <laughs> Who I I hate that aspect of Robin Williams, by the way. I love Robin Williams. I hate the whole just let him do whatever he wants bullshit. You don't like improv? There's a lot of improv I don't like. There's a lot of improv that's really bad. And we like to remember the funny stuff. But so much, so much of Robin Williams' improv comedy is based around, it's because he's on coke. Like, that is the only reason we laugh. And that's not okay. If Jimmy Fallon does a perfect impression of what's so obnoxious about your improv, there's a problem. Anyway. Huh. I wouldn't, that's a bummer. I don't what, know what that note means. What does it say? Maybe I can help you. 
sound and shadow make me think of the Banshee. I know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Banshee from... Darby O'Gill. Darby O'Gill. But I don't remember what made me think of it. Which is a bummer because I would love to talk about Darby O'Gill. It's coming to Disney+. Plus. <laughs> but I have no idea what I mean. Where it's like got the black eyes and it's cracked. Yeah. 